Hey friends, welcome to The Ruins, a podcast about the journey of faith. My name is Joseph, and in today's episode, I am joined by Julia Feldman in talking with them about what it looks like to embody a sex-positive and healthy sex education experience. We'll also talk about human development, what abstinence-only sex ed gets wrong, and how we can learn to have more empowering, inclusive, medically accurate, and compassionate conversations about sex. Thanks for joining us. Here we go. Welcome back, friends. It is great to be with all of you again. Today is going to be a very different episode than what we've historically done on the podcast for reasons that we'll get into. But nevertheless, I am so excited and thrilled and honored to be talking with someone that I deeply, deeply respect and admire and look up to. I got connected with Julia and their work a few weeks ago, and we had some initial plans that didn't end up working out, but they were gracious and willing to pivot a little bit and join us here on The Ruins, which I'm so grateful for. So Julia, thank you so much for being with us today. I'm so glad to be able to join you. Well, before we dive into our topic for today, I would love for you to just share a little bit about who you are, what you do in the world, and give us a sense of what it means to be Julia in this season of your life. In this season of my life, well, this is a unique season, um, pandemic and all, but I am a human development and sex education consultant. Um, I started off as a classroom teacher. I taught high school English for many years and high school health and Um, through a series of events, found myself eventually teaching um, primarily sex education. I um, worked for a county office where I designed programs and local school districts, and eventually through funding from the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, wrote some really awesome curriculum that's being used all over the place now. And um, wow, I'm that lady that goes school to school and shows you uh, how to take care of yourself and take care of other people. And that's my job. And I love it. So I work with people across the lifespan, as young as preschool and as old as senior citizens. Um, I work in lots of different capacities. I've taught in schools, in hospitals, in dance studios and uh, prisons. Um, I believe that people of all identities and experiences deserve really accurate, empowering information. And that's what I aim to do. Wow, that is amazing and seems like a little bit beyond the Ruins podcast. Like that's kind of legit and this is kind of not legit. Um, And so I am thrilled that you said yes. And I'm so excited to talk to you for multiple reasons. But for those listening, depending on what your background is, uh, this episode will either be really liberating and healthy for you or it will potentially address some biases that you have and help you begin to think about sex and sexuality in a very different way than what you may be used to. And before we kind of got into things, I just wanted to give a disclaimer on this episode that we are going to be talking about sex and sex ed and purity culture. And I know from talking with a lot of you that there's a lot of hurt and abuse and trauma surrounding these topics. So as we start, I just want to encourage you to listen to your body, to take a pause or turn this episode off if you need to, take care of yourself and listen with a lot of care and caution and compassion for yourself. Uh, Julia is incredible and will take really good care of us, but I just wanted to start there. Um, Anything to add to that, Julia, before we dive in? 
I just want to say that um, that that disclaimer that you provided, I think, is a universal experience. And I say something very similar when I go into classrooms, just the extent to which um, these are topics that we don't normally talk about in everyday life, which is really why I have a job, because I think that there's um, a lot of just basic information about how to take care of ourselves and other people that we all deserve access to. And so if you're coming from a perspective where this is new information for you or something that you might be somewhat resistant to, I encourage you to um, kind of take the approach that I talk about with my students, which is really just thinking about what we deserve in this one precious life and that knowing mm. how to take care of ourselves is such an empowering thing for us to learn about. Yes. Yes. I love that. Well, today we are talking sex ed and specifically the conversation around abstinence only education. And before we get there, I would love for you to just share a little bit about how you got into sex education work. You shared a little bit about what you do. um, But like you said, for most people, especially from my context of conservative evangelicalism, sex positivity and sex education is not something that we, people of faith, oftentimes spend a lot of time researching and studying and learning and educating ourselves on. So how did you get into the work that you're doing? Yeah, you know, I think that my inroad to this work is actually something that I imagine a lot of your listeners can connect with, which is when I was younger, I struggled with different types of health problems. And I had to learn very early on um, as as a young teenager, how to talk about my body with doctors and my parents, how to figure out what I was feeling and, um, and figure out how to get support around topics that were hard to talk about that were stigmatized. And so I became empowered as a young person to learn how to talk about my body and how to talk about, um, these topics because no one had taught me how to do it. And I honestly felt like it was really unfair. I felt like to be a teenager and expected to feel empowered talking about topics that we never talk about felt unjust to me. It felt like, um, society was doing me a disservice. And as I got older, I realized that there's just so many topics that we're expected to navigate with grace and ease that are complicated, that we're denied basic information about. And that just really felt wrong to me. So that was kind of how it started. And like I said, I became, I started off as a a classroom high school English teacher. I had one very poignant experience when I was teaching Fahrenheit 451 to my students where the main character's wife overdoses on stomach, um, overdoses on sleeping pills. She gets her stomach pumped. And um, at that time, I was teaching this book to a classroom of seniors, and the captain of the football team asked, well, if there was a a baby in her stomach, it would suck the baby out, right? And I had, I realized, you know, this whole group of students, these high school seniors had no idea that the uterus and the stomach were different parts of the body. And so I just responded, you know, actually, a fetus grows in a uterus. If it was in the stomach, the stomach acid would digest the baby. You would you would break down the yes. fetus. Yes. And all the girls in the class, not on Ms. Feldman, everyone knows babies grow in tummies. And I just realized, wow, I'm talking to a group of 17 and 18-year-olds, and there's just basic anatomy about their own bodies that they don't even know. And again, that felt unjust to me. It felt like we have these bodies, we're charged with taking care of them and respecting them and treating them in the best way possible. And yet we're denied really basic information about how they function. And I think that that, that theme just extends to so many aspects of our lives, especially intimate and romantic relationships. We're just expected to figure out how to make this all work without talking about it, that it's just supposed to somehow magically click, but that doesn't exist in any other part of our life. So why would we expect yes. it to have these like really complicated, messy areas? Yes. I can actually remember very recently, my wife showed me this, this Instagram page of this, I think she was a nurse maybe, 
but she had mentioned something about how many conversations she was having with the people that were coming to see her to talk about fertility. And the more she talked about it, she realized like these people are, are having sex with the belly button. Like that is the point at which, and they're like, I can't get pregnant. And they're like in a ton of pain and like having these conversations. So this nurse was sharing this story and she had like DM after DM after DM and was sharing all of these DMs saying like, that happened to me, that happened to my friend, that happened, you know, like, yeah. and I, I, my wife and I were like, that is, first of all, there's no way that can be true, but obviously it is true. And these people who are not just like 17, 18, like in their 20s yeah, and go into these incredibly vulnerable and intimate moments and literally do not have like anatomy 101, let alone an empowering and inclusive sense of like loving your body and knowing how to respond to your body and all of that. And it's just like so, so prevalent in so many ways. And obviously you, you know that, but. And to me, it's. It's heartbreaking. I feel like a a cornerstone of my philosophy is just that access to information is an empowering and good thing. When people have tools and information that's accurate about how to take care of themselves, they're better equipped to live healthy, fulfilling, responsible lives. You know, this is, and and I think that kind of pivoting to the idea of abstinence education, there's this belief that um, if we don't give people information, they're not going to do things. And that's not what the data tells us. Evidence shows us that time after time, people are curious, people want to know what's going on. And that when you deny them access to information, they're still going to explore, they're still going to try to figure stuff out. And oftentimes with really detrimental effects, because they don't know how to take care of themselves. They don't even know how their bodies function. Yes. Which is, again, one of the reasons I'm such a big supporter of the work that you do and so thankful that you do what you do. You mentioned in our conversation offline uh, that you are not a Christian. You do not practice evangelical Christianity, which, just to be clear, is awesome and wonderful (laughs) and beautiful, and I love different worldviews and perspectives. But I grew up, and I think a lot of our listeners grew up, in and around very conservative spaces where there is obviously a ton of abstinence only sex ed. If there's any sex ed at all, it's definitely abstinence only. A lot of homophobia and transphobia and patriarchy and cis heteronormativity and so much more. And most of our experience, I don't want to speak for everybody because there are a lot of people out there who do not share this experience. But for me and a lot of our listeners, these topics we're kind of met with two main messages. One is don't have sex until you're married. And that was like the drum that everybody beat all the time without fail. And the second one was sex is for your spouse only and only in the context of monogamous heterosexual marriage of two people who share the same worldview and faith. And that was basically it. And I grew up with so much shame and guilt and anxiety around sex and my own sexual desires and what I wanted to do with my body and the rules and limits and regulations that people around me were putting on me. And I'm a cishet white Christian male. So I literally have the most power of privilege of anyone in society. And that was my experience. So I have heard the stories and had the coffees and conversations with people who have experienced so much more trauma, even than I experienced around these topics. 
So just so we're all on the same page, does that perspective and experience with sex education mirror the experience of people who didn't grow up in a Christian framework? Or do you find that happening more so in kind of like religious contexts? That's a great question. Um, And I think that we need to recognize the extent to which these puritanical values permeate all aspects of our society and not just people growing up in evangelical communities. So if you look at um, most state standards when it comes to education and especially related to health and sexuality, monogamy and waiting till marriage, these are values that are ingrained even in in the the California educational code um, and in other states too. So I like to talk a lot about values with people when I teach, because I think that one of the most important things is making sure that we are acting and living our lives in accordance with our values and figuring out what your values are and pursuing a life that that is aligned with that is a really important part of living a healthy, fulfilling life. Um, And when you deny people access to information because you have very specific values and expect them to follow the same course as you, um, you're not setting them up for success. So I think Mm. that across the board, there, there is this expectation that people will still, to this day, wait for marriage to be sexual um, and that they will only have sex with their one spouse. And when we look at the divorce rates in this country, we have to reconcile mm. the fact that um, this might yes. be the ideal. And a lot of that um, is also interesting that, that it really became formalized in education around the time of the HIV and AIDS epidemic that yes. a lot of these puritanical sexual values influenced um, dominant culture in an effort to protect people and to try to keep people safe, which again, is a very valuable ideal, trying to encourage people to make decisions that are gonna reduce their exposure to harm and risk. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, but when those values then limit people's access to basic information about how to care for themselves, we've got a problem. So I think these messages are everywhere. Um, and. And there's nothing wrong with whatever your values are regarding when you believe it's appropriate to become sexual or to engage with other people in intimate relationships, um, but that you are still deserving of this information regardless of, of what your values are. Yeah. And just that idea that agency, information, education are all like cornerstone pieces to the conversation, not just a theological worldview or, you know, other, other variables like wanting to empower and educate people in order to make informed decisions obviously is like a crucial part of it. And I would love for you to also talk about two specific terms that we've mentioned. And I would love for you to give us a definition, your definition of these two terms, and then maybe unpack a little bit about each of these terms. So the first one is sex positivity. What is that? How do you talk about that? How does that look embodied in somebody's life? And then secondly, is abstinence only sex education? Because I think a lot of people have different definitions of what sex positivity is and then what abstinence only sex ed is. So can you give us your definition of those two terms and then maybe unpack a little bit about how you see each of those playing out? Yeah, let's see. Okay, off the top of my head. Uh, For me, sex positivity means that you believe that consensual sexual activity um, can be fundamentally healthy and that individuals ought to be supported with education and resources to most safely develop and care 
for this really important aspect of their identity and experience as humans. Um, so really, sex positivity's notion that sexuality is actually an inherently healthy and normal part of being a human, and that we, we deserve support in making ourselves sexually healthy and maintaining sexual health. So there's a lot more around the, the topic of sex positivity, but it really is just normalizing the fact that sexuality is a very normal and healthy human experience. Um, and that there's nothing inherently shameful or wrong about it. That's a really interesting definition to me because I think obviously like in the political divided world that we live in, a lot of people on the right, I think, would accuse maybe some more progressive ideals around sexuality as being dangerous and harmful and like people are going to go out and just make these terrible choices if you let them do X, Y, and Z. And correct me if I'm wrong, but what I'm hearing you say is that like the main and cornerstone idea around sex positivity is that like sex is good, bodies is good, and that's part of who we are as humanity. I could be like missing it, but I'm trying to figure out why somebody would have like pushback to that or be like, oh, that's a harmful idea. Yeah. I'm like, when it comes to sex and relationship education, my philosophy is just that these are normal things. Being curious about bodies, being curious about bodies feeling good, being curious about interacting with other bodies. These are very normal things. So normal that they're necessary for the survival of our species. You know, yes, um, very much. And so we talk about this like, oh, sex is such a taboo subject, but sex is the way that we carry on humanity. And thank goodness that sex feels good because it motivates people to have babies and continue our our species. You know, yeah. I, and I don't think it's a very radical notion, but when we live in a society that tells us that our bodies are dirty and wrong and sexuality is inherently shameful, speaking up and saying, actually. This is a very normal experience. This is one of the cornerstones of what makes us human and that there's nothing inherently wrong with it. That's a radical idea. Yeah, that's just so interesting to me that like goodness, affirmation, education, those are all things that some, I, I just don't understand someone being like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I'm like, aren't those, I mean, like you love sex too. You just have like, maybe for you it looks different, but yeah, that's just, that's really interesting to me. What about abstinence-only sex education? Give us your definition and then talk a little bit about your experience around that. What are the conversations that you have in schools or in jails or in synagogues or where you're at, where that's a lot of times the only framework that people are working from? Yeah, I mean, abstinence-only education, I think in its and its highest ideal and what it's trying to be is the idea that you're empowering people and supporting them in choosing not to be sexual, which is a very valid choice if that's a decision that a person is making for themselves coming from an informed place. But when we look at how abstinence education actually manifests in the real world, it involves a lot of shame, consistent messages about the fact that being curious about sexuality is wrong, that being a sexual being is shameful, that being sexual with other people will inherently ruin you or reduce your value as a person or your worthiness of respect or dignity. Um, and 
these are really problematic ideas, especially when you see how they're not necessarily equally implemented, especially when you're talking about genders, the messaging that people who identify as male receive around sexuality and their role when it comes to it and the messages that people who identify as women receive are not the same, especially with regard to what is normal and natural in terms of desire, but also in terms of your value once you choose to be sexual. And that, again, is wrapped up with the idea of virginity and and all of these things that are very hard to separate. But the idea, I think, underlying abstinence-only education is the idea that you are a bad person and a person worthy of less respect and dignity and value if you feel sexual or choose to act on, on those feelings. It's interesting to me because all of the things that I'm hearing you talk about, I can look back and be like, I can probably find the verse in the Bible for why this framework is so prevalent in society. And that's really hard, I think, for me as someone who is like a pastor in ministry. You know, I grew up in these spaces and a lot of our listeners grew up in these spaces. And Like, I think we have to come to terms with that and like kind of hold ourselves accountable for the fact that like everything from LGBTQ plus exclusion, not just in the church, but even like marriage and gender discrimination and misogyny and patriarchy, as much as people may not want to address it, like those are like themes in the Bible. And when people come up with an idea around sex or sexuality or gender or any of those that is different than what they grew up with, they feel not just like a worldview attack, but I think they feel a very personalized attack on my convictions as a person. And I I don't know if that's something that you've run into in your education of not just a disagreement about what we think is best for the education of our people, but taking that a step like deeper into I don't want this or I don't believe this because this goes against like my identity as a person. Is that something that you you come across with in your work? Absolutely. But I'll also say that that equally I come across people who feel very validated because they feel like things that they felt their entire life that they were denied or told were wrong are actually okay. I get a lot of people that say like, "Oh yeah, like I was really curious about bodies when I was younger. I wanted to know what naked bodies looked like. And I wanted to know if I was normal. And I wanted to know if the feelings that I had were okay. And I was told they were wrong, but I had them and there was nothing I could do about them. And I think that there's so much of this way that we have been taught to kind of suppress and judge our feelings and just our experience of being human. um, That and, and that we accept these other narratives that are, you know, that we're surrounded by, especially religious beliefs or or social or political beliefs. Um, And I encourage people to often kind of pause and just kind of remember what it felt like to be a young teenager who had bodily urges and desires, who felt tingly things and wanted to know how stuff felt and how things worked. And that I think that there's also a lot of just healing that we need to do for our our inner child who was denied that support and access to information and told that those feelings were wrong. Because I think that if we get down to the core of it, you know, like, Anyone who has a baby knows that when you're changing their diaper, they want to touch it and stuff and see what's going on. You know, people are curious about their bodies. That is a natural experience that across the board people have. And so I think that 
there is a pushback, but there's also something very comforting if people can pause and realize that most of this philosophy that I teach with is just about the fact that you're normal and that your experiences are normal and that your feelings are normal and that there's nothing shameful about having a body or curiosity about it. Hmm. Oh, it's so beautiful. That's such a beautiful vision for anybody. And I'm, you know, specifically, I work with young people. My wife and I have two young kids. And it's the relationship between working on ourselves and working on our relationship and kind of like doing the deep inner work of like trying to get better with these conversations. That's one layer. And then the next layer that I think we're thinking about is specifically okay, how do we heal from really destructive and harmful practices of our past, but also create an environment where the young people around us are growing up in a more healthy, more holistic, more organic, more like positive environment around some of these things. And how do you do both of those things at the same time simultaneously while knowing I, I don't really, I'm working on my own thing, let alone I'm trying to figure out how do I talk to, you know, my kid about this stuff, or how do I talk to the middle school and high schoolers that I work with about some of these conversations, because I'm not a sex therapist or a sex educator, um, and trying to do that inner work, but also create a context where those conversations are happening in a healthy way. I think a lot of people are struggling with that tension of not just focusing on them, but also not just focusing on myself. So what are, what are some of the ways that you see that play out in the work that you do? Yeah. I mean, I think the notion of how can I heal so I can do better for the people around me is a very common theme. And I, I do a lot of parent education and I frankly find that a lot of people come to me as adults who have never really accessed quality sex education before and they're doing it because they want to parent differently and they don't know how to do it other than how they were taught. Um, a lot of people ask me like, how do I answer these questions for my kids? My inclination is to answer it the way my parents did and that messed me up and I don't even believe that or agree with it, but I don't know what else to say. And I think it's really beautiful when people are motivated to learn and, and grow so that they can help other people. And so I think that's some of the, some of my favorite work is working with, um, with parents who want to be able to offer their kids something better. And in the process, they're also offering themselves something that they, that they never got. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I resonate very deeply with that. And I'm sure a lot of other people do as well. So for people who are very early in the journey of learning to love their body, be sex positive, have a really healthy relationship with their sexuality, what are some of the best practices for them to continue to take steps towards having empowering and inclusive and medically accurate and compassionate conversations about sex, especially if they're early on in the journey? And maybe some of these ideas are new, or maybe they're seeing some problems in conversation that they had with a friend or something that they saw on social media, and they don't really know where to go or what to do. They know what's not working for them right now but are a little bit unsure as to like, what are the next steps for me to take? What would you, uh, what counsel or insight would you give to that person? Oh, well, so that's a really broad category. I don't know what that person's dealing with, but um, 
the first thing I'd say is that a lot of my education focuses on consent. And I think that we, when we're talking about consent, jump ahead to interactions with other people. And I like to talk about how consent begins with you. And that one of the most mm. important skills that you can cultivate as a person at any age is the ability to really connect with your authentic feelings about things. And that's really hard, especially when we're talking wow. about thing related to sexuality, um, because again, we're getting messages, we're bombarded with messages from all different parts of our lives. But the importance of really being able to take time to practice connecting with your authentic feelings and with your values and figuring out how those align. Because before you can interact with other people or communicate with other people, it's so important that you have a sense of your own inner voice and what is true to you, whether you are talking about navigating a physical intimacy situation with someone else, or whether you're ordering pizza with a friend, your ability to connect with what you want, and then learn how to communicate and advocate for yourself is so very important. Wow. Um, so just starting off by really focusing on putting yourself in situations where you have to make up your mind. What do you want to eat for lunch today? What do you want to wear? Um, but really practicing taking time to connect with yourself. And especially as young people, there are so many decisions that are made for you already. You know, we kind of forget the extent to which we make decisions for the kids in our lives and the young people in our lives. And that the practice of making decisions for yourself and connecting with your authentic feelings, that's a skill and that's a muscle that has to be practiced and exercised. And the more you can practice that, the more you're going to be able to take that sense of inner knowing to all different aspects of your life. And the more you're going to be empowered to act in alignment with your values and with the knowledge that you've received um, to, to make the decision that's right for you. So I'd say that starting with consent and starting with yourself and really connecting to your voice, that would be the first thing. Wow. Yeah. Anything else? Yeah. I mean, I think learning to seek out valid and reliable information is a really important skill. Um, and unfortunately, these days, a lot of young people don't know how to find accurate information about sexuality and they're curious. And so a lot of people turn to pornography or turn to resources that are not going to serve them. You know, we say that you wouldn't turn to the fast and furious to learn how to drive and you shouldn't turn to pornography to learn about sex because it's not an accurate or um, respectful or reliable depiction of reality. But learning where to find the answers to your questions that are going to provide you with the information that you deserve. So Part of that has to do with learning how to just accurately vet websites and resources to make sure that the information you're seeking is medically accurate and um, and is, is going to help you and support you in the ways that you need. And, and then I'd say trying to find uh, trusted adults or other people that you can turn to for um, honest, reliable, supportive information and identifying who those adults in your lives are that, that might be able to provide that for you. Well, I love I love both of those steps. I think for the consent one, I had somebody tell me early on how important it was as a parent to help our kids learn consent. And one of the ways that we've seen a lot of success in that is just in the times that we give them options of like, yeah. hey, do you want blueberries or raspberries? Or do you want to wear your black sweatpants or do you want to wear your gray sweatpants? And learning that like, we have to go out of our way to communicate I am not in charge of every decision in your life and you can make choices. You are your own person and understanding like, okay, yeah, we need to guide and we have certain limits and regulations and boundaries that we have as a family. But from a very young age, I mean, my son's five, Ivy, our daughter is three, and we have 
that's been something I've been trying to do really consistently as a parent is just like, hey, you can go pick a book that you want to read or what do you want to draw or stuff like that just to like reiterate the fact that like it's not just go do this, do this, don't talk, sit down, eat your food. Empowering them to just practice making decisions. And then beyond that, I'd also say talking about boundaries as a parent asserting boundaries like oh I'm gonna go to the bathroom by myself now you know like my six-year-old will still say like oh that hurts my feelings when you say that and I'm like oh no I'm allowed to have some private time and finding ways to kind of model asserting boundaries like oh you you want to read alone right now that's great you get some time alone or oh you really want me to do this with you. Okay. I'm going to do this with you, but then I need to go make dinner. And so that's my boundary and really just normalizing, finding ways to, to make your needs known. And also to understand that other people might have conflicting needs. And I think that if we can teach people when they're kids to receive other people's nose, not as rejection, but as information, wow, we're going to really set ourselves up for people that can have respectful interactions later on. But we're taught that someone saying no to us is a challenge, right? We're often taught that don't take no for an answer. Um, and, and we take those messages and they impact all aspects of our lives. And so a large part of my teaching with my family and in, in schools is just no isn't rejection. No is information. And it shouldn't hurt your ego to receive a no. Wow, that's such a helpful framework. And one that we, I mean, you can put that into practice every day with little to no effort. It's just like feedback and in, in coming in and helping you process for sure. And in terms of the education piece and finding reputable resources, lucky for our listeners, we've kind of already done the work for you because you are listening to somebody right now who is amazing and reputable. And we will get to all of your socials in that at the very end. And we'll make sure to have those in the show notes. But as we kind of begin to close here, what would you say to the person listening who has experienced hurt or shame or abuse or trauma, especially in relationship to some of the conversations and topics that we've been talking about? I know that's a very intimate and a very sensitive place that I don't want just anybody speaking to. And I certainly don't feel qualified or reputable to be able to speak to that person in a way that would be healthy and educated. And I feel like in your experience, those are probably conversations that you have often. And I would just love for you to maybe offer an insight or what I would call in my field of work, a pastoral word uh, to the person who is just is working through that. Maybe they're in therapy, maybe they're not. They don't know where to go, what to do, how to process all of that. What would you say to that person if you were sitting across from them and they shared their story with you? I mean, I'd say that anytime someone hurts us or imposes their values or shame on us, we need to remember that that's their story and it's not ours and it doesn't have mm. to be ours. Um, and so much of... Um, the messages that we get around sexuality and about our bodies are about other people's stories and other people's baggage and other people's experiences. And we're taught to take those on as our own and hold them and nurture them, even when they don't feel right for us. And so a lot of my work is about empowering people to write their own stories, to figure out what they authentically believe and to figure out 
the ways in which the messages that they've received might not serve them or their path that they want to be on in life. And so really just understanding what is someone else's story and someone else's truth and that that doesn't have to be your story or your truth. And that it's mm. one of the best ways that we can take care of ourselves is to be able to draw that distinction between whether someone else's message or experience serves us or whether it's actually limiting us or harming us. That's such a great word. Thank you for sharing that word. You're welcome. As we land the plane here, my last question for you, what do you see on the horizon of the future of the work that you do? What is exciting to you? What gives you hope? What are the ways that you are looking forward to continuing to have these conversations in different spaces and help us as people live into this beautiful vision of sex positivity and education and agency and consent and all of those things. What do you kind of see on the horizon as like, here's what we can be looking for and maybe pull that back into the now and be like, as we get there, here are some ways just to continue to have these kind of conversations in the communities that we're in. Honestly, on the horizon, I see this work kind of being decentered away from sex education and really just understood as, as life skills and knowledge that all people deserve. Um, I think that when we take information about consent and anatomy and relationships and we pigeonhole it in the category of sex education, we're doing ourselves a disservice because most of these things are not even related to sexuality in their essence or not limited to the field of sexuality. Mm. And that really, these are skills that we need to be able to live fulfilled whole lives, understanding our feelings, being able to effectively communicate with other people learning how to care for our bodies, learning how to respect and listen to our bodies. These are skills that all people need. And the more we can understand them as things we all deserve, um, I think the more access people will get to them, because I think that most of the messages that I have probably really resonate with your listeners and people that have historically not had access to them. And so I think the more that we can understand that what we've understood as sex education, and I'm doing big air quotes here, is really just about human education, about learning how to be a person in a body, interacting with other people with feelings in their bodies, too, and finding a way to do that in a respectful and healthy uh, way that's aligned with our values. Amen to that. Yes and amen feel like you kind of just took us to church a little bit. Anything else to add as we as we close here? I always love to give our guests the last word of maybe just a way to wrap it up or just something that you're passionate about or maybe just a, a one-off comment or like floor is yours. The listeners are here. Um, speak to the people. Wow. Um, no pressure there. Um, I want to thank you for creating this space and this opportunity. I know that this is a topic that might not frequently come to your listeners or to your community and being so open-minded about it. And then I guess the last thing I want to say is about the topic of pleasure, because I think that it's something that we have a difficult time interacting with and understanding. And I think that when we talk about sexuality, people often think about it as being indulgent or thinking about pleasure as being indulgent. And I like to talk about the fact that um, as, as people, pleasure is something that is our, our birthright, whether it's eating ice cream or the tingly feeling you can get when you hold hands with someone that you really care about mm. um, to the fact that there are certain parts of our bodies that have sensory nerve endings that are designed to send our brain pleasurable messages that especially in the last couple of years, life has been rough for a lot of people. And 
that we need to remember that pleasure is, is our birthright and also just a really wonderful part of being human. And so that we deserve to find ways to integrate pleasure into our lives and to really celebrate it and enjoy it. Um, because, you know, we're only on this, on this earth for a short period of time and we should make it worthwhile. Wow. Pleasure is a birthright. That is amazing. That's beautiful. Well, there you have it, folks. One of the most amazing sex conversations I've ever had as a person and especially as a pastor. I am so, so thankful for you and your work. There is so much we could talk about, but I want to respect your time. So I'll just end by saying thank you so much for spending time with us and helping us think through some really important and I know sensitive conversations around a topic that every single person listening needs to think about and needs to like have education as we've been talking. You are so helpful and gifted and gentle and compassionate, and we are so lucky to be able to hear from you. So thank you truly uh, for being with us. I'm so grateful to have spent time with you. Oh, thank you. It's been my pleasure. I love that. Hey, there it is. Look at us. There it is. See, it manifests in all sorts of ways. (laughs) Oh, amazing. Well, as we close for listeners who want to stay up to date on what you're doing, what you're up to in the world, what are some of the best ways for them to support you or follow you? Do you have any work or projects uh, that you want to plug as we close? Yeah, just find me on Instagram. I wish that this pandemic had resulted in me having massive online classes and things that I could sell, but you know, I'm I'm a teacher and I'm working all day in the classroom and so Instagram is your opportunity to find me, but I also love answering people's questions and I get a lot of uh, DMs and emails uh, with people who just have really great questions and want support and I'm always happy to help. So Um, if you don't see the content you're looking for on my Instagram, reach out and I'm happy to connect you with resources. Amazing. Well, we will definitely have that Instagram bio in the show notes for you to access. Go right now and follow. Julia is an unbelievable follow. And I am so thankful for them and their work and everything that they are doing in the world. If this was your first time listening, this podcast is hosted by me and my wife, Nicole. We are bivocational pastors and leaders in Spokane, Washington, and we keep this podcast sponsor and ad-free as an act of justice. So if you're able to become a Patreon member and support the work we're doing, we'd love to invite you to do so by visiting our Patreon page below. This episode was written, produced, and edited by us, Joseph and Nicole. Grace and peace to all of you. We love you, and we'll see you next time.